Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Anne-Marie Lockhart, and you're listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. And it being um, the week that school starts up again here, and the 10th year anniversary, if that's the right word for it, of 9-11, and assorted other things that go on in people's lives that cause stress and hardship and what have you, it seems like a good day to talk about writing things we do not want to write, trauma in any of its particular formats being high on that list. I have with me today a guest you will all recognize, someone whose work I adore and whose mission in life is to bring creativity into the front of um, people's work. That is Cassie Primo Steele. Thank you for joining me, Cassie. Oh, I'm happy to be here with you, Anne-Marie. Um, now, you did something yesterday, which I would really love to hear more about, and it was uh, one of your Wordy Wednesday poems. Um, so tell me where you got the idea for yesterday's, how you used the collaborative process, and all that. If you would actually, maybe the best way to do this is to start by reading it, and then we can talk about that from there. What do you think? Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Um because the poetry should always come first, as it does in Vox Poetica. (laughs) (laughs) What will happen at the 9-11 memorial? The landscape will never be the same. This is why they came. Ten years. Not for the flusteration of the media or the plethora of pundits. Ninety-nine days it burned. But for the unchanging nature of what lies beneath the dirt. 3,051 children lost a parent. Someone will bring a picnic. The words will come out pickled or primo, then get sliced until intangible. A quiet song will be sung. Citizens from 115 nations. There will be no roaring crowd. 1,714 hate crimes reported. No phantasmagoric light show. Six days the stock exchange was closed. Traders on their day off will trade ephods for iPods and take pictures. Two hirsute grandfathers will stand alone and melancholy. Bombing in Afghanistan began in 26 days. Mothers are so weary. 200 funerals attended by Giuliani. Even sorrow is somewhat romantic. A few teenagers will be troublesome. One will get arrested. Lost NYPD 23. Kids are given snickerdoodles. The music is eclectic. Bodies found intact 289. Not even the flag makes a splash this time. Time the towers fell 12 seconds. No patriotism to astonish. Count the wars. No blame to admonish. Count the wounded. All this is for the archive. Mourn all the sides. Count it all up. We who are living, still here, alive. Now, you followed the same process for this poem that you did for your other Wordy Wednesday pieces, right? Yes. So before I take my daughter to school, 
um, I put on my status update that I'll be doing Wordy Wednesday that day and ask people to put a word in the comment box below my status update. And then sometime in the early afternoon before I get my daughter from school, I cut and paste all of the words into a separate document and I try to tune in to what's happening in our current events. Oftentimes the people who will post on Facebook are people that I know are going through different things in their lives and I just kind of try to co-create with the sense that we are all connected and that we can all connect through poetry and use poetry to help us get through what we're facing in our lives. And so um, with the anniversary of 9-11 coming up, I was thinking that I might um, do something on that theme. And it was it was actually um, not difficult to do the first draft this time, mm-hmm. but it felt mm-hmm. um, uh, somewhat numb. And so mm-hmm. that's when I went to the numbers and wove in the numbers um, to the first draft of the poem. Because I think sometimes that what happens after a trauma or when we're dealing with kind of a chronic, stressful event is that we shut down in order to survive. And Hmm. so adding the numbers, adding the facts, the who, what, when, where, why of the story, actually um, in both therapy and in writing therapy can be uh, a helpful part of the process. Because sometimes we we can get either numb or we can get bogged down in the feelings about something and kind of like a hamster on a wheel keep running that rut of depression or anxiety or or whatever it is that our brains are kind of creating to help us survive. Um, So I think one of the reasons that this poem is successful is, is the weaving of the facts and the emotion. And James Pennebaker, the researcher who writes about writing as a way of healing, talks about the need for balancing the events and the emotions in writing that's healing. So that kind of segues into what you introduced at the beginning of the show to um, kind of why we don't want to write about things sometimes. And I think it's because we're numb. We're numb because that's how we get through the day. I um I I agree with you. You cannot live in the moment of that and heightened um sense of emotion all the time and that does become a way to deal. So mm-hmm. let me ask you the next logical question, which is mm-hmm. why should we write about things that are hard? Mm. The main reason is that it works to help us get past them. Um, Mm -hmm. I particularly, I would say, um, 10 to 15 years ago, when I was just starting out as a writer, I would sit down to write, and over the course of writing for 20 minutes or an hour, an hour and a half, I would literally start to feel myself getting better. It was as if I could rise up from the writing and I had left it there, and I was more balanced and more present in my own life. But I couldn't have gotten there if I hadn't been able to get it out. And a lot of times people go to different forms of therapy. There can be talk therapy for that. Um, But for me, writing is an easier way of healing. 
I have an early poem called You Write What You Cannot Say. And Hmm. I think it's because during the traumatic process, the sense of an internal witness is often destroyed. Mm -hmm. There's that sense Mm -hmm. that no one was there to help. And so it's very hard to go from having no sense of an internal you to telling the story to an actual living flesh and blood person. So to recreate that sense of an internal you within yourself in the quiet space of the page can be a first step to that healing process. I have three um, relatively short poems that I'd like to read in succession here because they speak to, um, in the way that I'm going to read them, is is almost the narrative of what you just said, putting okay. things in perspective, rebuilding and recreating your inner voice for retelling the story. And these are all from, um, from 9-11 to a New Year, which was Vox Poetica's first contributor series anthology. And this is actually the first contributor series that ran. It was about 9-11. And um, the one interesting thing I'd like to say before I read them is so many people told me this was the first time they had written about it, myself included. I had never written about 9-11 before this, and um, and a lot of people told me this is their first shot at it too. So I'm going to start with um, Remembering That September by Linda Artisan. They leap and fall like rag dolls, splay out onto the pavement, There is no one to catch them or to snatch the others from the glowing staircase B. No one to blow the white ash off the world. One smoke swirl billows through the screaming streets until all feet are white with new snow. Over the East River, streams of clean air clarify the sky, but no planes fly, except in Washington and Shanksville, plummeting to earth like silver toys. A day made perfect by September sun before the running crowd cries out, the twin towers flatten like the blocks a small boy stacks, then sweeps his hand through in a power rage. So beautiful. It's so, um, it's, it's, it puts everything in, in its fact form, except it's not. It's, it's the story of how it was viewed by one person, but it is the story of how it happened. Um, the next one that I'm going to read is my own, and it's called Bone Fragments. Pool bottom blue sky gone black with soul dust, and the air reeked of wreckage till the rains came in late October. Poster parade of the missing pasted up on impromptu prayer walls that used to be chain-link fences, or walls, or trees, or windows. In the immediate of the fall down, no water, no power, no cell phone towers standing, all gone dead. But the shock and the shock and the shock of the shatter still reverberates. Last calls and final falls as the place that was became the place that is a sacred, soundless shrine of sky-strewn souls. Uh, For me, that was really all about cataloging a series of impressions, you know, the things that, um, the details of the memory, you know, as they happened and and as they stuck to me later on. My favorite Um, part of that that poem is the reader. Uh, is the repetition. It felt like a poem needed repetition because it felt like those details needed to be dug in. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the third poem in that mean? poem and the rhyme in the first poem are both elements that kind of comfort us and allow us to hear what's being said. 
You know, I I think that's so, so viscerally true, like a child sucking its thumb. You know, these are things Mm -hmm. that do force a sort of of confrontation and comfort at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, The third poem that I'm going to read about this is yours, and it's what what the tree has seen. In the middle of a city park, women gather with each other near an ancient magic tree and sing of what the tree has seen. In the south, a woman sings of eyes stabbed open and of other eyes sewn shut, while beneath the morning sky of blue, children played on swings and pigeons cooed. No one moved when in the north a woman screamed, her teeth and tongue torn wide, her gray tone rising till it turned to stone, and wailing fell upon the ground nearby. In the west, a woman kept a constant rhythm, laying bare hands against the wood with heavy patience as only a mother mourning her weaning child could. Still in the east, there stands an ancient woman who calls upon the spirit with upraised hands of five-fingered yellow leaves in autumn light. She prays to bring back breath to all those still sleeping or dead or not quite as day descends and turns the tree to night. Moonlit, the women stand in silence and raise a toast to all the tree has seen. They are drunk in honor of her memory, what makes possible the songs they sing. Now, that takes us almost to, you know, process, and the processing of a trauma, and that's kind of uh, really speaks to me about why we do put narrative to, to trauma. And that mm-hmm. does such a beautiful job of that, Cassie, really putting grief Thanks. and... Um, narrative and perspective. Thank you. And I love the way you read it with your New York accent, too. <laughs> That's how it should be read. <laughs> yeah. And the, One, the tree yeah. there is the hope for peace. It's really the world yeah. tree. And when I, you know, call the different directions, I'm thinking already when I wrote that that the the bombing was about to start in Afghanistan and here we are 10 years later and it's still continuing. And that that all of us, particularly as women and as mothers, are ready for peace. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, that's such a, you know, of any trauma, peace is a necessary part of recovery from trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So the fact that we can read that poem today and still not be to that peaceful part of it 10 years later, it, it speaks to a lot of the depth of the trauma itself and the mm-hmm. you know, cultural and worldwide inability to manage those things very effectively. Exactly. Um, tell me, what what would you recommend somebody wants to write, they don't know where to start? This is something they feel, it's in their heart, they know they've got to say something, and it doesn't have to be about this, whatever it's, whatever mm-hmm. their, their trauma is. How mm-hmm. do you tell them to begin? The first thing that is really a comforting thing to know is that when you have survived a trauma, you have no story for it. Mm-hmm. So you start with the feelings and the images and the nightmares that wake you in the night. You start there with those visual, spatial, um, the the taste, the, te- the textures, the way the light was coming in the room. You start with those things and poetry will lead you to where you need to go next. You don't have to know what happened. The reason you don't know what happened is that you left in order to make it through. 
So often we we hesitate writing our story because we have no story there. And so Mm -hmm. I want to free people by saying there is no story there, and the story that you write will come after the healing has happened. So to begin that process, you start with the way your body felt, the temperature of the room, the things that you remember when you wake up in the night. You start with those images and you let those powerful images of the poem lead you from one thing to the next. And also let the sound and the rhythm and, as we were saying, the rhyme and the repetition Mm -hmm. in the language lead you because there's magic in that language and it will lead you kind of like through the labyrinth of your pain to come out on the other side. Uh, I love that advice to allow you, to allow yourself to be freed from telling the story, the pressure that goes with that, to allow mm-hmm. yourself to be free to explore technique. You know, those things sometimes make such a difference in your ability to, to put something down there. If you can divert yourself for a moment from the emotion that holds you back and focus on craft and technique, then it maybe makes it just easier to leap over that obstacle a little bit. Exactly. Um, I have one more poem to read, and this is a draft, okay. and it's something I'm working on now. And it's um, it's not complete, but it's where I am today, and, well, this week anyway. <laughs> and it goes like this. It is ten years later. Memorial is about to open, still incomplete. In a lab on the Lower East Side, bone fragments the size of a grain of rice are being analyzed. Body parts incinerated in jet fuel and pulverized into dust particles too small to read the adulterated DNA and learn which ash belongs to which name. 1,000 plus souls are still unmoored from their mortal remains. It is 10 years later. Still loom the ghosts in mirrors. Glass and steel, steel and glass, steal the glass, spill the glass, so no more wine drips on the snowy linen. But now there are waterfalls. Waters fall, rinsing away bone, dust, trust, time. New grass springs clean and green in glass and sheets, not shards, reflects land, sea, sky, but still can't cover up, can't stop the sedimentation as the centrifuge whirls and sunlight shows how elemental iron permanently enriches this anemic soil. It is ten years later. So that's where I am today. I love that. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, I am curious, as curious, to to hear what people are writing about that today or about any old loss today as they felt they needed to write things differently at the time. I, I want... I'm curious about the progression of craft and the time and space that goes between these things and whether that sharpens or dulls certain elements to it. Um, People have been sending me some of what they've written, and it's been very beautiful. Um, And I also have a prompt I'd like to send out to everybody. Uh, Lisa Zaran of of, um, Contemporary American Voices, she is starting a new press called Little Lark Press. You can find some information on this at littlelarkpress.wordpress.com. You can probably find it by Googling, too, if you need to. She is putting together this press, and the first project of it is an anthology that will be called The Whole Desolate Day, Poems About Addiction. Um, How traumatic is that? It is going to be a collection of work 
that people, um, she's asking for submissions through December, I believe. And it is um, what she says here, the goal is to create an extraordinary body of work by ordinary people who either suffer, have suffered, or know somebody who suffers from addiction. The scope of addiction is broad. We're willing to rework on any addiction, including but not limited to drugs, alcohol, gambling, food, the Internet, shopping, smoking, sex, and love. Um, and so I think this is, uh, you know, talk about plumbing the depths. This is a good place. Um, if you're, even if you're not sure you'll be able to submit, take this idea, write something about it, you know, and, and put it out there for your own creative experience and see where it takes you. Littlelarkpress.wordpress.com. Um, Cassie, t- yes. tell us something about how collaboration can fit into uh, grief writing. Well, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the internal witness. When we start with the sense that we are not alone and that there's already someone who cares about what we have to write, it makes it a little bit easier to begin the hard process. Mm -hmm. Secondly, there comes a time when the writing itself becomes not about you. It's about how it can be received by other people. And then when that happens, there's not as much drama and ego and, you know, <laughs> tantrums inside your head about the writing mm-hmm. process. This is one gift that you've been given that can help the world. And you start to get much calmer about it and disciplined about it, and you do it because the world needs you to do it, not because it will bring you anything necessarily, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but more because it's it's what you're being called to do as a member of the community. And I think that the um, two poems that you wrote that we just read today really do speak to that witness to a community concept um, and the importance of that in terms of a healing, a collective. Healing is always collective, is it not? Exactly. It's one of the problems with Psychology, as we conceive it in our culture, we think of healing as an individual thing, and it never, never is. You can't heal a person without looking at the family. You can't heal a family without looking mm-hmm. at the And so it's all connected in that way. Mm-hmm. I have kept you over time, and I know that you are very busy and have things to get to <laughs> right now. So I want to I thank you for that. You today. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, and I look forward to reading more of your works. It so often does speak to things we need to hear as a collective community. It's one of the things I think that really resonates so well in what you write and in terms of the work that you do with others. Their voices become part of that, too. So thank you for that general sense of what you give back to us all in the reading community, Cassie. Thank you, Anne-Marie. It's great to be with you today. Um, I'm going to leave it at that, and I'm going to um, ask that one of the ways you all um, acknowledge this particular 10-year commemoration is to write something. You know, it doesn't have to be something that you submit for publication someplace, although if it does end up being that, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, That's a way to turn something bad into something good, and I'm always in favor of that. But write, put some words down on paper, um, make it your own trauma. It doesn't have to be this big collective trauma. It can be some some other trauma that, that is 
private and um, your own, whatever it may be, uh, write about it. And read what other people have to say about their trauma, too. It's um, It can be informative and instructive and inspirational. Um, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We will be back next week.